I had a million dollars. Hot dog! I'm Joel Volk and welcome to Small BizCast, where twice a month I explore the lives of small business owners to dig a bit deeper and expose strengths, weaknesses, ideas, and challenges with blemishes and all. 80% of businesses are not ready for acquisition, yet most business people are hoping for a buyer's offer. Kevin Burson of Seapoint Business Advisors works through the many daunting challenges of solving this problem. As you listen to this interview, as a small business person, you will find comfort in knowing that you are not alone. Hopefully, you will learn something while finding inspiration and ideas from the people I introduce you to, like Kevin. Hopefully, you'll laugh with us too. Hot dog, it's a wonderful life. So we're here with Kevin Burson of Seapointed Business Advisors to talk about the lonely, daunting, tedious, and exhausting world of selling your business, mergers and acquisitions, and uh, all of that. So Kevin, thanks for being here. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your business, please? Yeah, sure. Well, it doesn't have to be so daunting. You know, we, we have to take, take a lot of the, the load off the business owners as they go through this process. And, you know, we, we serve as, as kind of the quarterback and, and we run the deal for them so they can continue to focus on their business. And we try to, you know, shield them from as much of the, the nonsense and the noise and, you know, uh, unqualified buyers. And there's a lot of things that happen that, you know, we can kind of shield them from, which certainly, certainly helps the process. So if a business person is at that place where they're thinking about succession, they're thinking about retiring, they're thinking about passing their business on to maybe their family, how do they know when it's time or when they're ready? What do they have to do to get ready to sell a business? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think the number one thing is, you know, psychologically, they need to be preparing themselves to exit the business. You know, if they're, if they're, if they're just not there psychologically and they're not, they're not, they're not ready. Um, you know, it's going to be tough. They, they need to mentally prepare themselves for this process because it is going to be, you know, it takes some time and uh, they should have some kind of plan of what their life looks like after, after they get out of their business. Cause it's just, you know, we're not going to, this is not something that anybody wants to have forced on them. And they it really, you know, the psychological aspects are, are, are really, really important here. So I'd say once a, a seller kind of comes to terms, a business owner that they, they're interested in making a move, you know, I think a, a good place to start would be to get an initial opinion of value. So uh, what that is, is, is it's like a valuation. So, um, you know, myself or anybody in the industry can kind of look at the financials over the past few years and really take, take a close look at the business and get to understand the drivers and give them a realistic sense of what the business would sell for in the open market. So it's now, not just price, it's also terms as well. So I can imagine that if you would ask the average business owner what they think their business is worth, they will come up with a number that's much higher than what the market will often bear. And so I imagine that's a big part of your job is to bring reality into the discussion that must be a yeah that must no, be a difficult conversation at times oh uh, it's true you know a lot of times um the business owner has heard something at a conference 10 years ago and you know they'll pin that to like you know some multiple that somebody else got that was a you know fortune 500 company so yeah i mean it, exactly it can it can be a it can be a, an enlightening conversation for the business owner to, to to hear about what the business is actually worth and yeah, we take a very data-driven approach. We're not just like pulling numbers from our gut. We, we have access to different databases. 
So we can pull out, you know, what do aerospace, you know, $10 million aerospace company with this kind of, you know, profile, what 12 other companies have sold for. And that's a good starting point for our analysis is, you know, looking at other databases to try to try to draw comparable analysis. Since no two businesses are alike, though, I imagine that that will vary also just because the, the top line number and the EBITDA number might be vastly different, even though the top from a different company with a top line number being the same. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. And, and most of the deals we work on are, are really earnings driven. EBITDA driven is, is pretty much the most uh, important metric while revenue is important. Like you said, uh, you know, two businesses with the same re- revenue can have drastically different uh, profitability. So profitability is the main, the main driver. So will now, you describe, will you define EBITDA for those people that aren't familiar with that expression? Yeah. So it's a earnings before interest, depreciation, uh, taxes and amortization. So it's really the, the operating income of the business. You know, you have your net income, your cost of sales, your operating expenses, and then you get down to operating income. And then at operating income, you're adding back depreciation, amortization, and other, other one-time expenses, which are also, you know, a lot of business owners tend to maybe have some, some of their family members on payroll, maybe have some, you know, private school tuition that runs through the business. Yeah. I've seen a lot of different things, not passing any judgment, not here to be a narc, but it's really important for me to understand those factors because those will get added in to the valuation. Right. Valuation will be driven because we're trying to represent what the cash flow will be to the buyer. Right. So I I call you today. I want to sell my business. Does it sell next week or what's the timeline? (laughs) Well, it, it depends on a lot of factors. I mean, generally yeah. from what I've seen to have, to have the best outcome, I, I would, I would say give yourself at least, you know, six months to, you know, a year to, to really prepare is, is probably a good timeline. And, you know, even better if you're, you know, three years out and you, you know, you, you have a three-year plan to, to sell your business. I just was lucky enough to be three and a half years ago, brought into a deal, which closed last week. And this was really an incredible business that was a, uh, e-commerce, an e-commerce business. They had a really fantastic uh, business model where they were able to acquire customers very inexpensively, very high profit margins. And this is one of these businesses that COVID just uh, became a huge accelerator. COVID accelerated their business dramatically over the past eight months. So it's uh, kind of kind of an interesting, uh, exciting outcome. Doesn't always happen like that, but it, but it can, it can. Right. So, so in the three and a half years you've been with them, they they increase their value by six times. Yeah. And, and, you're, and saying feel- that, you're saying that, you're saying that, that the COVID crisis escalated that, but we all know the COVID crisis is a temporary thing. How do you assess value to something? Yeah. Well, it, it is a temporary thing and it's very hard. And, and the valuation is really, you know, at, at a certain point in time. But I think, you know, from reading a lot about the impact of COVID on e-commerce businesses. I think what, what's happened with e-commerce is the amount of sales that are going through e-commerce is just accelerating. And I think COVID has accelerated e-commerce, you know, eight years in the last eight months. So what you're seeing is this, this natural shift that was going at a certain, certain point and now it's just been accelerated. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, people are finding that, you know, they're having great experiences shopping online and not having to, to leave their house. And I think that's a, that's a long-term play that's here to stay for this business. But the bottom line is this business grew because the founders were, were very committed to this three-year plan that they had developed and they expanded the brand into a lot of new directions and they delivered for their customers and the customers, you know, there's 70% repeat customers that, that love the, love the brand kept coming back. So this, you know, the sellers did, 
sellers did the hard work in, in making this business so successful. We just presented it to, you know, the right buyers in the right way to get them compete for the deal. So it sounds like that the process of preparing their business for sale made their business much better. Yeah, I would say absolutely. Right. So the part of this process was really the number one thing that we do is we, we clean up, we clean up the books. You know, when I say clean up the books, I mean, a lot of businesses we see um, don't have um, experienced financial professionals working, working in the financial function in the business. You see a lot of businesses that share their financials on a cash basis, right? Um, which isn't necessarily the best way to show all the value or realistically yeah. what's happening. So a lot of times we'll bring in an experienced, uh, you know, interim CFO, part-time CFO to convert the books from cash to accrual. So that was something that we did that took, took a few months on this project. And this, this deal was at a size where it made sense to have an audit done. Not all, you know, I'd say when a business is close to 10 million in earnings, that's a pretty good, a, a pretty good size that an audit will certainly give you a lot of credibility in the process when you go to market. Right. Uh, so we did that and we also did what's called a quality of earnings where we had a, another group really look deeply at the financials and at a much deeper level uh, to understand trends and any like inconsistencies. So, so our goal as M&A advisors is when we take a business to market, uh, the, the, the package has to be bulletproof. So what we want are clean financials um, that are going to survive scrutiny because that's, that's the number one thing that buyers do is they just, they, they're, they're looking you know, they're looking for reasons to, uh, you know, to get the price down. And what you want to do is not give them any reasons to do that at all. So we want to go to market with a really strong, compelling package. And, um, you know, that's going to hold together and survive. You know, this last deal, this, this, this large deal, there were literally 30 lawyers on the buyer's side. Wow. So, on the buyer's side. On the buyer's side. Yeah. Looking, looking for risks. They're looking for risks. So, you know, I think our team did a really good job because, you know, there was no price reduction. Uh, the, the, the initial offer they made absolutely stood. And the, the sellers actually increased the amount of money that they were going to put into the new company as well. They, they believed in the, the company so much that they're going to stay on as shareholders in the new company. And they put, in wow. more, they put in more than they had to. So one of the big takeaways I'm getting from this is whether you're selling your business or not, run your business like you're going to sell it and you'll have yeah. a better business. You'll make more money. The accounting is really a tool for seeing how you could run your business better if you're using it well, if you're using it right. And so run your business like you're gonna sell it, like a third set of eyes are gonna look at your business and you'll have a better business anyway, whether you decide to sell it or not. Yeah, it, exactly. It's, it's, it's a way to keep score. You know, right. it's, a, it's a way for a business owner to, to really understand their, their, their progress. And so that's why I, you asked me the first step. I mean, once they're ready to, 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 go to once they've thought about what the next, step looks like, then I think the opinion of value becomes this key point in time where they can measure the, measure the, the valuation. And then that, that's a tool going forward for you to update every so often to kind of see, see where the business, um, where the value might be. Now, do you do a SWOT analysis when you're? Yeah, yeah, we absolutely did. That was, that was a part of our, um, you know, when we go to market, we put together uh, a book that's called a SIM confidential information memorandum. And, um, that is something that the buyer is going to make their decision on whether or not they want to make an offer. Uh, so at, at that time, I def, I highly recommend that you expose 
everything about the business, uh, the, the selling points and also the, the weaknesses. Um, you know, SWAT strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Um, it's it's definitely important to give the buyer, uh, the potential buyer, a full view of the business. So in this case, this large deal, you know, one of the warts, quote unquote, on this business was the fact that all the manufacturing was in China right. and all went through one supplier. So that that's something that if a buyer discovers late in the process, could be a deal breaker. Could be could be a way for them to get the, the price down. That's certainly not something you want to spring on on a buyer. So I, I highly recommend that's something that's you know disclosed and disclosed in a way that um, you know you can defend it. And in this case, the the sellers could defend it because they had been with other suppliers in other countries, and this supplier just delivered over a ten year period, and they they had backup. Op opportunities, but they just continue to purposely work with this one supplier. So yeah, I, I definitely recommend that, you know, the, the, all the strengths and weaknesses are, are fully, fully presented in, in a, you know, in, in an articulate, intelligent way to the, to the buyer. Right. You know, so, so as you're saying that I'm thinking I've got a business that I've got all of my volume is reliant on one supplier from another country that, that which I want to acknowledge to the seller is also what I need to fix on my side. So again, right. you run a better business. You already answered exactly. my question. You said they had backup suppliers and you lined up if they had a problem. So it sounds like they were really sharp in managing this problem and decided that because they had it managed on the back end, they could, they can move forward with the challenge they might have just in case. So no, it's, it's, it makes perfect sense. Again, back to that same takeaway, run your business like you're selling it and you'll run a better business. Yeah. So one of the things we do also when we're going to market is we prepare a, a data room. And this is, you know, buyers that make offers that are seriously serious buyers. They'll get access to a whole series of documents, um, the, the, the company's agreements, the company's tax returns, um, any you know, potential trademark issues. And this is, this is what the 30 lawyers did on the buy side is they just, they scoured this data room for you know a couple months and just, firing one question after another. So we were prepared for that. And uh, the, the process of going to market will prepare you for that because we, we, we know exactly what kind of documents the buyer's due diligence team would want to see. So we'll put together all those documents ahead of time. And you know we'll discover that if a, an NDA isn't signed or an agreement is expiring or insurance coverages are, are insufficient, these are the kind of things that we'll want to we'll want to take care of before we go to market. We're going to be right back after this short break. Small Bizcast is proud to support Fit for the Cause. Fit for the Cause is the leading organization in fitness for low-income and special needs communities. Founded in response to the national health crises, Fit for the Cause has used licensed and COVID-conscious trainers to keep their members active even during the pandemic. Offering physical training, nutrition, and a variety of classes, members benefit from the same resources given to Special Olympic athletes. So stay active now by going to www.fitforthecause.org. That's fit, the numeral four, thecause.org. You may remember Janice Miller of Miller Haga Law Group from our episode, Saving Nigel in season one. Miller Haga supports businesses of all sizes from large to small. No matter what phase your business is in, from startup to wind down, Miller Haga Law Group acts as your innovative general counsel. Their experienced team of lawyers will keep the gears of your business turning. If you want to minimize your liability while maximizing your profits with competent and efficient counsel, contact MillerHaga.com for more information. That's Miller 
Haga, H-A-G-A.com. Document technology continues to be a challenge for businesses as they go back and forth from working remotely to working in-house. One of the challenges facing management is that documents need to be shared. They also need to be secured. There's privacy issues. There's access issues. Those are the types of things that keep people up at night. Mercury Document Imaging has been solving problems like these since 1982. We are in the unique position to leverage our years of experience with our tremendous resources to solve this and other similar problems. We do it economically. More importantly, we do it efficiently. So if you have issues that you'd like us to help with, please call 818-782-1221 or go to mercurydoc.com, M-E-R-C-U-R-Y-D-O-C.com. Welcome back. I'm Joel Volk with Small BizCast. We're talking to Kevin Burson of Seapoint Business Advisors. So tell me about yourself. How did you get into this business? I'm curious. Yeah, no, it's kind of a, a, a little interesting story. So I started my career at Arthur Anderson in, in the 90s after I graduated UCLA. So are you a CPA? Uh, no, I was always on the, I was on the consulting side. And consulting at that time was heavily geared towards implementing large ERP systems. So I was uh, rose through the ranks as a project manager. I was implementing uh, the SAP system for, for manufacturing companies. I've always been interested in manufacturing and distribution oriented companies. So an ERP system is a, is a software system that runs basically the entire company, the whole operation. Exactly. So we, we implemented systems for like Oakley sunglasses and uh, Sony pictures and Mm -hmm. a division of Mitsubishi and some medical products companies. And for me, that was a a really great way to learn about business uh, through the system side, because you would have to configure the system to work well for the business. So I did that for, for several years up until Arthur Anderson, uh, imploded in the wake of Enron in uh, 2001, 2002. And uh, I, um, a recruiter called me to go to Technicolor, which is a $5 billion entertainment and manufacturing company based in France. They were looking to head up their worldwide SAP initiative. Uh, I was fortunate enough to take that position, spent my first year in, in Guadalajara, Mexico, and they made a deal with me and said, if I, if I uh, implement the project on time, on budget, They'll pay for my MBA, which was a pretty great deal. Right. So I started, I started my MBA, uh, got very interested in finance classes, which I had never taken. And at the same time, this is just a very lucky thing. CEO of Technicolor at the time was a, a, a former investment banker, and he really wanted to position the company to, to start some new divisions. And he thought that an acquisition strategy would be the best way to do that. So he hired a couple of his former investment banker colleagues, and they started this group. And I was lucky enough to join that team, uh, which was just an incredible experience. We sold a RCA, which was a you know, famous American brand for a sure. billion dollars. Uh, we worked on the buy side. We worked on, um, started a new division around digital advertising and did a few deals that were about half a billion dollars. So I, I, I was in the middle of all that. And I was the guy that was, um, you know, the lowest level guy in the team, building the spreadsheets, building the valuation models, putting together these, these pitch books. So I, I got an incredible amount of learning opportunity in a few years. It was, uh, it was pretty intense. It was, you know, probably average of 85, 90 hours a week. Plus I was going to school pretty crazy time. I don't think I'd ever put myself through anything like that again, but I'm so, I'm so fortunate to have that experience. And, you know, when I, when I, when I finished this deal last week, first person I called was my mentor from Technicolor, who really was the guy that brought me into the group that right. really essentially taught me everything I know. So uh, I feel a lot of, a lot of gratitude for, for him and for having that experience. And then um, 
Yeah, so I, I really enjoyed the M&A process, really fell in love with it. And, and I was turning 46 years ago and I decided to go out on my own. I started consulting, helping, helping companies with business plans and, and uh, preparing to raise money. And then I started to, I joined a few networking groups and I started to meet business owners and they had these family businesses and uh, they didn't really know. I, I saw a real shortage of quality advisors out there helping them. I saw an opportunity to take what I learned in the corporate world, working on these pretty large deals to help, you know, family businesses that really didn't, didn't know what, what didn't know how to exit. They didn't know how to value their businesses. Right. They don't know how to tell a story. They, they don't know how to manage the process. They don't have the bandwidth to manage a process while they're running these businesses. So having gone through it, you know, I, I had my business for 35 years, had an opportunity to exit and took a couple of years to package a company and getting through it. And I can tell you that, it, that the reason I started out the introduction is was daunting and, and lonely is because as the sole owner of the business, I couldn't confide in the people I normally delegated things to. Normally I was right. a pretty good delegator. I didn't do a lot of the tedious work of, of running my business. I did the, I, I delegated it and ran, and ran an umbrella company and the people I would normally trust with the details to delegate to, I had to do them all myself, which made it very right. tedious. And it made it very lonely because I, I had to hold it all. I couldn't share my process with anybody, what I was going through. And and when I say daunting is because you're, I was running my business all day long. And then when yeah. everybody would go home, I would do the work I needed to do to complete the, the transaction. And, well, and it's so stressful. You know, you don't, you don't know, you don't know what to say. You don't know what, you know, what not to say. Chances are you haven't been through this process before. So, right. You know, whether it's me or somebody else, I, I, I just highly suggest that business owners find find a partner that they can trust to really be their support system because it, it is a pretty draining process. It can be draining. It, it is, um, you know, you need that trusted partner. And I, I, I think that's one of the things that, that we do well, our firm, is that we develop very, very close relationships with our clients through this process. And they you know, they learn, they, they, they trust us and they rely on us and it's just makes it that much sweeter when we get through the process. Yeah. In hindsight, I'm sorry, I didn't uh, seek, seek you or somebody else like you. I don't think I knew you at the time, but it was, it was a, um, it was definitely a, a job that could have used some more professionals. I was approached by a bigger company and it was kind of a, it was a sweetheart deal on some levels. So I didn't, I knew there wasn't anything to negotiate. It was really more of just giving them the due diligence they needed. Right. And I and I'm I'm guessing that had I consulted with you or someone like you, I might have been able to make it at least a little bit more pleasant process. If 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 the outcome dollars and cents wise came out the same, is that your experience that you're able to help those situations as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, at, at a minimum, we'll definitely create a lot of order order to the process, and, and you know, we, we lay out a timeline of, of where we where how long we think the process is going to take, and we establish different checkpoints. And we do a really good job of, of project management, staying organized through the process and, and communicating really well. And I pride myself on being you know, very available to my, to my clients. And, um, you know, it's stressful. Sometimes they need to vent. And like you said, there's really no one to vent to. Right. So, so we, we play that role and, and I, I, I have no problem. You know, I, I enjoy that role. It, it helps us establish trust. And it's, it's part of the job. You know, I really, you know, want to hold the, the business owner's hand through the process and be that, be that support system. 
Now you were mentioned earlier that there are sometimes business owners will do things that kind of push the envelope of ethics in terms of just, you know, maybe, maybe with finance and tax, but I, I, I've seen a lot of business people that do things that are really unethical in business. How do you, you know, tell the truth to someone who's really your client that they've got to clean up their act or they, they're not sellable or all that kind of the bad news they need to hear. What do you imagine you've got a story or two about that? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't really, you know, the way that our, our industry works is we don't really make any, any money until we sell the deal. So we take, we take a huge risk in, in the deals that we take on. And it's, it's, you know, most of the deals are hundred percent success fee. So that means that I have to choose very, very carefully who I work with. Right. So, um, you know, this is definitely something I've honed over the past, you know, 10 years, but I have made some, some mistakes and I, I worked with a couple of businesses that, you know, turned out to be pretty unethical. I worked with this one uh, recycling company. It's, you know, definitely uh, an industry that might not be known. You know, there's uh, industries that tend to work with a lot of cash are ones to potentially, you know, where there's the most fudging of the book. So sure. that, that's definitely something that, that I've learned. So this one had a lot of cash. And the sellers just, they weren't, I, I, I took the deal. Uh, the business uh, wasn't as represented. The, the financials were not, were not accurate. And the sellers, they turned out, um, yeah, I brought some buyers to the table. And by the time the buyers were asking diligence questions, the, the numbers were, were, were constantly changing. And I couldn't really figure out what was going on. It turned out the, the sellers had you know, laid off the salespeople without telling me. So they were just trying to like pocket extra money and it was just, it was just kind of a mess. And ultimately I spent about eight months on it and uh, didn't get a deal done. And it just, you know, I'm not going to get all the deals done. I'm, there's always going to be some risk. But I have about 80% close rate. I'm pretty, pretty happy with that. Uh, I think most, uh, I think the industry average is like 45%. So I'm pretty happy with that, but I've definitely made some mistakes. I, I, I thought that was going to be a good business. I thought I could sell it. I knew there'd be a lot of buyers because it's just a, a kind of a fun trading business is right. you get all these computers in and then you sell the components. A lot of people are very interested in that business and I just got blown on that. And, um, and I, I imagine people change their minds too. You, you spend a couple, spend several months getting your business, your house in order. And all of a sudden you have a business that's operating better. It's probably more fun to run. And it's probably more attractive to stay there. So I imagine that's happened too. Yeah, I, I haven't had that. I, I, I generally, if anything, I generally have <laughs> the, the other case where it's like once they, they hire me, uh-huh. they take their foot off the gas and then the earnings that, you know, I, I came into the deal, those earnings evaporate and then there's nothing left to sell. And I've had that happen a couple of times too. And that's, that's frustrating because I put a lot of upfront time into the deal and, you know, it's my job to run the process. It's the business owner's job to keep the business running and if uh you know the business isn't running and the earnings aren't what they were when, when we started the project it's going to be tough it's going to be very tough to, to get a deal done uh buyers are going to lowball they're going to assume the worst and if they really want it the sellers going to be very very flexible which you know they may or may not be what happens if you're dealing with a partnership and the partner wants to find, you know, one, one of the partners wants to leave, the other one doesn't, do you get involved with those transactions as well? Those are, those are really tricky. We've had a couple of those situations and basically you have to have all those hard conversations up front. You know, there has to be a really clear path that one owner is going to buy the other owner out or, you know, we you almost need to get everything in writing and have to have those, have a commitment from both partners of, of what they want to do. I'm, 
we're, we're, we're starting one right now where that's the case where there's two partners and one wants to sell, one doesn't. So before, before we'd even think about taking this business to market, those two have to see eye to eye on what the exit strategy is going to be. So it's right. So it's almost, it's almost, they have to sell the whole business. People typically aren't going to want to buy into a partnership when they don't know. How no, about. no, it's, 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 they have to sell the whole business. Right. It's really hard to, to value like a minority stake. You know, very, very hard to value that. There's just a whole set of challenges and just, just people issues. How, how are these two people that don't know each other? How are they going to work? It's, it's just not, it's, it's generally for smaller deals. It's, it's, they're hundred percent sales. Right. How do you protect the trade secrets or the intellectual property of the business while the buyer's doing due diligence? That was one of the challenges that yeah. I was so concerned about was I'm, I'm giving all, I, I, you know, I was, I was bought by essentially a competitor. Like, right. And so right. I'm essentially giving them, showing them all my cards, all my strategy, all the secret sauce to try to sell my business. And at the, there's nothing to keep them from just saying, okay, we're done. We got what we need. We're out. I mean, luckily it didn't happen that way. I, I, I right. was, you know, we were purchased by an ethical company that I'm right. proud to be part of still. So I have no, no, no fear in, in hindsight, but I remember how I felt in the very beginning when they would ask for certain things and I'd go, do I really have to give this to you? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's a great question. It's something that does come up when you're, you know, have a strategic buyer that knows you well. So, so what we try to do is, we, we try in the first stage of the deal, we'll try to just get initial offers uh, called an ILI, indication of interest. So, so first of all, uh, all, all buyers have to sign a pretty tight uh, non-disclosure agreement before they see anything on the business, right. before they see anything. So that, that, you know, that we, we bring in attorneys, uh, to, to, we, we have a form that we use, but depending on the deal, it may need to be tighter. Uh, so we'll, we bring in different attorneys to help with that. So that's step one is all buyers to see any material will sign the NDA that extends to all their uh, trade partners as well. Their, their attorneys or CPAs, they, right. they will be down by that agreement. And then the second thing is I would stage the process. So I'm only giving them information at, at certain points. So the first step is I want an, an, an initial offer, an indication of interest and based for you to make that, I'm just going to give you a little bit of information. I'm not right. going to give you the full data room. I'm just going to phase the information. So, so based on what I'm telling you that the financials are as high level financials, you should be able to make a decision on what you think that's worth. You don't need to see all my agreements. You don't need to see, you know, employee lists. You don't need to see any of that. And you're not going to see that. Right. You know? so, so it's, it's a phased data request. So by the time, you know, if, if they are a competitor and, you know that they're serious, that they're not just kicking tires at that point, because they, they will have they will have made an offer. It's a non-binding offer, but it's it's an offer. And and ideally you run a process and you have other buyers as well competing. So you kind of get a pretty good sense of what the buyer pool is. So if if this buyer you're worried about, you know, they better be making a very strong offer uh, to get to the point where they get more information. And then I would just phase the information uh, in the process to make sure that you are feeling like they're on a path to close and you, you want to see them spending some money in the process too. Right. You want to see them hiring lawyers. You want to see them hiring CPAs. You want to see all that's generally a good sign that they're serious. If they're not spending money, I, I certainly wouldn't share any of them. Right. What advice do you have for somebody who's just trying to figure out whether they're ready for doing this or not? I, I guess the number one question is what's next for you? You know, are you ready? Are you ready to let go of this business? You, you may have owned this business for, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years are you done? Are you ready to let go? It, it, you know, a lot of time these businesses are, you know, provide the cash flow for the whole family. They're, um, 
you know, they really are uh, often like, you know, children of the business owner. So uh, you have to be ready to let go. That's, that's like step number one. It's a really hard question. And that's a hard step. I, I know that when, when you spend your life building a business and your most of your waking hours are thinking about your business, if not actually working within it, it's really hard to separate yourself as a human being from the actual entity that is the company. It's very hard to do that. Yeah. Can you see yourself doing something, something else? You know, right. Do you have hobbies? Like these are the questions that we ask to just make sure like, is this, does this person really want to sell? Because it's, it's, it's a serious commitment. It's a serious commitment. It's, it's a, it, it, it is a pretty intense process. So it has to be ready and, you know, the story has to make sense. So number one is, is they, have to, they have to be ready psychologically. You know, once they're ready psychologically, then we'll start to, start to look at the, the valuation and say, look, is this, you know, it, it, does this right. number make sense? If I could get you $12 million today, is that, is that a number that you know, you're comfortable with? Because if you think this business is worth 50 million and I'm a 12, I'm not the right guy for you. And I'm happy to say that too, because I, you know, I, I, not only do I have to give you a number, I have to go get you that number at the end of the day. Uh, cause I'm going to, I'm going to sign an agreement with you that says I'm going to go get you that number. So, uh, you know, and we ha we have different, different ways that we do that, but ultimately, you know, if I give you a valuation, I have to stand behind that. So, uh, I, I do that very, very carefully and, 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 you know, data in a data driven right. way. Who, who are the people in your team? Who are the experts that you put together in the room as you go through this process? Yeah. So first of all, so C point is, is a, is an M&A advisory and there's, there's six of us that all have different uh, industry experience and, you know, working on deals. So uh, the last deal that I worked on, the three of us working on it and uh, which was, which was great. We bring a team-based approach. So, uh, but outside of the C point team, uh, the extended team will definitely be uh, a, a really strong uh, CPA uh, or finance person. It could be an internal person. If, if the company has that, if not, you know, we'll recommend somebody from the outside interim CFO. There's, there's a lot of great interim CFO type people out there. It could be a, you know, two, three day a week commitment. It doesn't have to be full time. So, so I imagine that once you, sometimes you need the CFO to go in before you just so you can get a clear picture of what you have to sell. Because a lot of times, as you were saying that someone who's their accounting house isn't in order, you may not have a clear picture of how to evaluate it until yeah, that's right. That's right. A lot of times we come in and, and they're not, you know, we're not the right, we're not, they're not ready for us yet. So yeah, right. the, the CFO becomes the, the CFO person becomes a really primary, primary team member. Once that person is in and rolling and, and, and the, the books are, are now in, in, a, in a shape where we can get a good sense of, uh, of the value, then we'll deliver the opinion of value and mm -hmm. we'll talk about that. But once we're, once we're going and we have an agreement, a representation agreement, you know, the other key people, definitely a, a great transactional attorney is, is really important at the, the seller. And 90% of our deals are sell side. So it, a good transactional attorney will be really important to you know, review the non-disclosure agreements that are, that are coming in and review changes on those. That attorney will write up response to the letters of intent as they come in. And that attorney will be uh, critical for, for negotiating the purchase agreement right. uh, on the other side. So, so the attorney, the finance person, often there's, there's tax advice that that's also becomes very important too, is how do you properly structure the, the transaction to be tax efficient? And that, that's also a very important, important person. So 
And that uh, often that often becomes a big negotiating tactic if someone wants to buy the assets versus buying the absolutely, corporation. Absolutely, absolutely, and every every deal is different uh, on that in terms of you know the buyer's objectives versus the seller's objective. Right. Yeah, there's there's definitely often some give and take on on deal structure and changes. Sorry, will that affect the price? In other words, if, if someone's insistent on buying the assets rather than the whole corporation, then the price goes up because of the tax ramifications? Or? It could, yeah, it certainly could. It, right. it certainly becomes a, a, a negotiating point. And your uh, your fees are based on the actual sale price, correct? Correct. And so um, is that, a, you have to get specific. I, I imagine that's a big part of the decision maker on behalf of the seller. Your fees become, an, is that ever negotiable between who's paying him? Uh, no, the seller, the seller pays the fee. It's, it's pretty, it's industry standard. When we're sell side, the seller pays us the fee. I do get pushed back. I mean, it, it does, it does happen. It's, uh, not, not fun when that does happen, especially when I do my job and I do everything I say and do it. It does happen. But no, this, this one was, was, was just wonderful, a wonderful experience all around. Yeah. Well, after, you know, after I sold my business, I a lot of my business owner friends were asking me questions. And the, one of the first questions that came up was, was, you know, how much did you have to pay your, you know, to, to the, for the transaction. I, it was very interesting to me. I think they were trying to fish for other information. They just didn't want to ask me personal information, but it was, it seemed like they were really hung up on what it cost to sell the business versus what the, you know, the, the, the payoff for buying it. I don't just mean the money. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll say, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I'll, I'll say this. Like I, I've, I've never been a part of a deal where we didn't, our feet didn't pay for itself in the, in the value that we added. Well, know? that's a very, that's a huge, that's a huge claim. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's every deal. Like, you know, we will find ways to increase the, 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 the value to the seller, whether that's through, you know, the way that working capital is negotiated within a deal or the way that certain adjustments are handled through the, through the deal. I mean, we're, we're constantly fighting, you know, every day on behalf of the seller. And I think a lot of, a lot of sellers that don't have advisors, they get taken advantage of. Right. So it's, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard, especially when you're working with a sophisticated private equity firm that is a professional buyer that looks at literally hundreds of deals a year. Those guys know how to do deals. They know how to take advantage of unrepresented business owners. So, you know, whether it's me or anybody else, I would just highly recommend that a business owner hire an advisor to, to support them on this process. That's a huge point, Kevin. That is a really huge point. Are there any industries that you specialize in or industries that you will not work within? Uh, I, I tend to enjoy manufacturing and distribution companies, um, companies that have brands. It's really fun, fun to me to see, um, you know, work, work with different brands. Companies that make products are, are pretty interesting to me. We do a little bit of technology, a little bit of e-commerce. I, I, I tend to stay away from, like I said, kind of cash-based businesses, uh, restaurants and retail. I don't really do, do a lot of those. I would uh, imagine e-commerce is going to be a big part of your portfolio now. I, I, I would hope so. I would hope so. I mean, right. it's, just, it's just a fantastic business model and mm -hmm. these companies can be just incredibly profitable. Are there any industry, so you stay away from the cash businesses, but you, it's not like you won't do them. It's just that you prefer not to it's possible i just and i i don't really want to i don't really do like kind of you know right main street you know one you know single retail shops i don't, right. I don't really do like really you know kind of retail businesses like that so what's your vision for your company yeah i i really love what we're at what i really love where we're at and love the kind of work that we're doing we're, we're starting to get some some higher quality uh um engagements 
So, um, I, you know, we really, we serve this market that are businesses that are going to sell between, you know, two and a hundred million is our sweet spot. We're not, uh, we're not business brokers that are selling these main street, main street businesses that are, sure. you know, restaurants and retail. That's, that's not our sweet spot. And we're also not doing a $500 million deal that, uh, uh, an investment bank like Hulahan Loki is going to do. So we, we serve this this middle segment of businesses. Right. And I, I like where we are. I, I think this transition is going to continue. We, we work with a lot of baby boomers that are looking to retire and they tend to be in their, their 60s and 70s and, and they, they're, they're thinking about their exit plans. I think COVID for a lot of business owners has made them think about their exit plan. Sure. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about the next few years and, uh, you know, the prospect of, of helping sell some, some great companies and help owners retire on their terms. What's the best way for somebody thinking about selling? You're just having questions to get a hold of you. Uh, send me an email, Kevin at cpointadvisors.com. And cpoint is S-E-A point. Kevin, thanks so much for being with us today. I think that your stories and your perspective is really valid and will help people in any stage of their business. Kevin Burson is with Seapoint Business Advisors in Encino, California. Thank you again for sharing your stories and your wisdom with our audience. I know there was a lot covered. I hope our listeners were able to take away several nuggets and make their businesses better. To our listeners, thanks so much for your time. I get a lot of emails with some suggestions and feedback, and I can't tell you how much it helps me put together a better podcast. Please remember to review our podcast wherever you listen. I appreciate your help passing the word on Facebook and LinkedIn. And please check out smallbizcast.com for our earlier episodes and other resources. Kathy Yamaguchi is a creative entrepreneur and problem solver. She balances her love of horses and the outdoors with business and her family history. She's our next guest. Here's a sneak peek. Once I really got into this and I really researched everything and I really figured out stuff, I did write a paper with the U.S. Green Council building here in St. Louis. And I wrote up Epic Equestrian and, and Mud and Buds. I won that award for that year and stuff. And it was just, it was nice to see that you know, all those hours of researching something and really, you know, again, that trial and error, trial and error and trying to figure this out. I knew that it was like almost at times banging my head against the wall. Like, I know there's a way we could do this and stuff. And then finally figuring out the system and stuff. Mm -hmm. It was just a nice little appreciation. It's just oh, like sure. getting a, you know, winning a, a ribbon at a horse show. Yeah. <laughs> Small BizCast drops every other Tuesday. Follow us on our socials for business tidbits and special offers. Thanks again for our sponsors, the Miller Haga Law Group and Mercury Document Imaging. And remember to support Fit for the Cause. And of course, thanks to my producer, Chaz Volk of Mr. Thrive Media. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much for listening. Hot dog. It's a wonderful life.